Pulp MX Network production. Pulp MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at btosports.com and click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mathis Show, presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Grand Prix preview, folks, 10 days away. That's right, it's coming up. And uh, this year, more than ever, I'm sure a lot of you guys listening to this are uh, are excited to talk about it and uh, talk about what could happen. BTOsports.com, use the code PulpMX when you check out to save big over there. Brand new website. Uh, Andrew Short, Justin Brayton on the BTO Sports KTM team. Anything you need for your biker body, they've got it. BTOsports.com. Great international shipping rates, too, because I'm sure a lot of you people listening to this aren't from America. So check them out and uh, try to save yourself some money then there, too. And, of course, uh, Foxhead.com. What more can you say about those guys? Uh, the global innovation leader for motocross racewear. Continuing the relentless pursuit to innovate and elevate. Check out the full line of 2015 stuff going on now. And uh, Dunge Roxon, just a couple of guys that wear rocks, uh, wear Fox. Foxhead.com, visit your local authorized Fox dealer. All right, everybody, with me, a man on the line, you know, all the way in Spain. He has his finger on the pulse of Grand Prix racing. He's a better writer than me. He's a better media guy than me. And he's got his digital magazine, On Track, Off-Road, uh, to check out, as well as uh, his weekly reports on RacerX Online from the Grand Prix. He is Adam Wheeler. Adam, what's up, man? Hey, Steve. Thanks for doing you this. You sound so professional when you're doing that whole introduction thing. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, you must have done it so many times. I'm impressed, well, really. Oh, and then also, too, like, you know me, so you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like the professional <laughs> Steve Mathis that I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, one thing is, though, because, I mean, I heard a lot of Fox. So how does how does JT kind of you know oh. feel about that? Because oh, that's, that's that's Sly kind of you know pushed out a little bit. I imagine he's got a bit of a grudge going on. Oh, it's not good. It's not good. He's very angry. Sometimes I well I I used to ask him you know hey JT how about that Fox gear, and then he would just be silent, be no comment, and then um, <laughs> so, so so I make sure I throw in an extra Fox Foxhead dot com you know to to really really just drive that, that drive that nail in. So. Yeah, because if he's going off on one, you know, and you want to kind of shut him up, then that's almost like your Joker card, really, then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly what, how it works out. Um, All right. How's everything on On Track Off-Road, digital magazine going? Uh, people who want to check it out, it's uh, otor.com. And, uh, of course, some of the stuff from the U.S. is the best stuff out there that I may or may not write for you. But uh, <laughs> how, how is the digital mag world? It's okay. It's growing slowly but surely. But I, I think the most important thing is the um, the next issue, which is number one hundred. Yeah. So I've right. been trying to kind of get something special going for that, um, which is uh, just after the Grand Prix of Qatar, actually, the first uh, round of the World Championship next week. I can't believe it's come around this quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Both the Grand Prix and number hundred. 
So, um, you know, the guys at Monster Energy uh, over here have been uh, really cool and offered to sort of get some special editions printed up. Oh, sweet. Uh, predominantly, it's an online magazine. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'll throw a couple in the post to you. But, uh, it's, yeah, it's going okay. It's uh, keeping me busy, busier than usual. Yeah, I know. And, and like you said, your season starts here. Uh, Qatar is the first round in Thailand, Argentina. You're going to be racking up the air miles right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. It's. Um, I mean... I mean, the, the AMA schedule, you know, when we talk about it in Europe and we look at it, it's this, this, this crazy, you know, freight train of mm-hmm. um, events and promotion and everything. But, you know, the Grand Prix has got a, you know, a pretty extensive schedule as it is. I mean, we're sort of, it feels like we're flat out for six months, you know, mm-hmm. because um, obviously we've we got two days of action like the Nationals used to be. Um, you know, it's kind of sort of four days around each event. I mean, going to Argentina for round three is pretty much like one week. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, by the time you fly there and you do the, you know, the event and you get out, it's, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's quite a long one. So, add the nations on there, a couple of Supercross in Europe, and you yeah. know, like we popped over for Anaheim too and stuff. So it does end up being quite a, a bit of a long, a long old year. But yeah, it's, it's just ready to go. You and your travel buddy, you and your travel buddy Ray Archer there. You guys, Ray was at a couple races. You were at a three, a three or a two. A two, A two, A two. What do you do? You like coming over and watching those things? I mean, obviously, um, it's great for 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 your career because you you get to meet these riders and do stories on them, and and you know you have the inside track to doing all this. It's great content for you. What do you think of American Supercross just coming over? Well, the thing is, you know, I saw my first Supercross. I think three or four years ago, and immediately I understood why European motocross athletes motorcycle racers or whatever would want to come and be a part of it mm-hmm. i mean i'm sure we kind of discussed this before but it's just that kind of audience it's um i mean okay it's a different kind of audience that you might find at a national or even a grand prix if you go to france or the uk or italy um but it, it's just it's just one mega big show isn't it mm-hmm. i mean i don't think you know if you've got if you're a performance uh, you know if you're an athlete performing on a certain level then you want to be in front of something like that so, I mean, you know, coming over to do stories is always kind of part of our yearly plan because there's so much going on, you know, especially around the Californian races. I mean, that makes it hard to get stuff done with the riders anyway, but, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, there are other things to do. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was good. I mean, I did A2, Ray was shooting Phoenix and then A2, so mm-hmm. um, it was a short but sweet trip because obviously we're coming over to Glen Helen uh, this year for the USGP. Um, right. And because Mexico, the Grand Prix of Mexico, the penultimate round is a week before, mm-hmm. then I think we'll probably just fly to L.A. and then travel from L.A. to Mexico and back. So it's uh, it's another two-week stretch on the road. Yeah, that's true, right? Yeah, yeah. you guys you guys travel, mm-hmm. no doubt. I mean, we you know we we don't go as far. We have more races, but uh, you guys put some layer miles on, man. It's it's some long flights. Yeah. Um, hey. The thing is, you know, I mean, there's MXGP. Uh, it's like I've been said to you on this last podcast, probably even this time last year. It's it's something that's changing. It's morphing to something that you know a lot of traditionalists or purists don't necessarily like. I mean, you can't deny that it's becoming a little bit similar in feeling and look to MotoGP. And the irony is that this year, with 18 races, we have the same amount as MotoGP, and with six flyaways from Europe, then mm-hmm. it's only one less than MotoGP. So right. You know, and Giuseppe Longo, the Ustream president, is already talking about doing, you know, um, a race in uh, Australia maybe next year or 2017. Uh, oh, okay. Africa's back on the list and also Russia. So, 
you know, you stream together with FYM have this very global vision for, for Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a question of whether the, the paddock and the infrastructure they have there, because there's no denying that some of the smaller teams really just kind of scrape by. C- can they make it happen? Right. So, you know. Um, yeah, I won't, I know. I'll, I'll save you the ranting and raving. I know that I, I see now <laughs> um, there's going to be more riders on the line now next year uh, for, for each class if they can get them. So that's good. That's a good thing. They went to th- um, for, back to 30 riders, right, for um, 40 riders? What what they do? Went back to one of them. Well, no, I mean it was a thirty rider gate last year. Right. But you know, let's be honest, there were some GPs where you know they were struggling to fill a top twenty after you took and taken the injured guys out. Mm-hmm. And then you know, with the entry fees to enter Grand Prix, it doesn't really make sense for a rider just to turn up and try and do it. Um, that's what I mean. It's becoming almost like a little elite set. There's actually you know an officially approved teams list, and for 2015, there's 28 riders on there. Um, you know, and then for some reason, like the gate this year into you know 2015 has been enlarged to 40 riders. So I don't know yet if Ustream are going to kind of change their policy a little bit, especially when it comes to European rounds. Yeah, for the wild card guys. Um, because right. they, yeah, I mean, like we said before, they are funneling the sport. <clears throat> you know, with the European Championships, which is almost the support classes to every other Grand Prix. There's like seven or eight rounds mm-hmm. per, ser- per series. They're like oversubscribed. They're like they're really busy, and that's kind of you know making a sort of pyramid structure up, up to MXGP, which is this elite class. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where in theory you shouldn't just be able to rock up and race. You, you know, you have to kind of earn your spot there. Right. So, um, but anyway, we could we could talk for like one hour on the merits and, <laughs> and you know the ethics and just, the the you know the whole thing of it. It's, um, I'm going to save my rant. Something if you don't. Yeah, if you don't if you don't agree with it, you just got to kind of accept it, and you know if you don't accept it, then you got to find another sport to follow. So it's you know I'll say my, it sucks, but yeah, I'll save my rant for hurlings. We're still racing MX2 in, in a little bit, so just get ready <laughs> for right, that. Okay. Um, uh, hey, uh, Ryan Villapoto is racing the GPS. I don't know if you heard or not, but no, he's not. Really? This is, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. I thought we were waiting to see if his contract was confirmed or not. Yeah, I know, right? I know. Um, it, this is probably one of the biggest surprises in motocross in the last decade or so. Our reigning uh, Supercross champion uh, pulling up stakes, uh, still in the prime of his career, and uh, going over to uh, uh, Europe to race uh, one last uh, season over there and and see what he's got. A lot of lot of talk about why he's doing it. Um, I think uh, I think a little bit of the re- more relaxed U- GP schedule. I think he was uh, burnt out a little bit over here. I think that for his family life, I think his wife was a big wanted to go over and see the world and do all that kind of stuff. And I was surprised that he did it, but hey, he is doing it, and this is going to be an exciting season. Uh, what's the buzz over there about him coming over? How how's the how's everything going? Like, what's what what are people saying? Well, you know, I'm already bored of myself because I, I tend to ask everybody that I speak to, whether it's like Jonathan Rea, like the factory Kawasaki superbike rider, you know, he's a big motocross fan, what he thinks about it, to every kind of other rider I speak to, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, and it's uh, everyone's got an opinion. That's that's the amazing thing, you know. Right, right. Um, it's everybody's kind of uh, heard of him, heard of the series, heard of him and Cairoli going up. Um, people who have thought about it for a while say, well, hang on a minute, it's not just going to be those two. They've got, you know, other riders like the Sal Paul and Nagel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, I'm quite astonished by the fact that everybody really does have, like, their their thought on how he's going to do. Right. 
But the closer we get to the first Grand Prix, it just seems... And let's not forget that Ryan has been riding in, in Italy and on the island of Sardinia and doing some tests over here, but nobody's really put a watch on him yet. No, you know, he's going to come into the first Grand Prix as a complete and utter sort of mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, do you I think, think uh, a lot of people are going to... What, what do you think about him not doing any preseason races? A little strange, I think. Mm-hmm. What do you think? But then, you know, I spoke with Tyler Ratchet today, his teammate, and he said, you know, obviously in the U.S., you don't, you guys don't really have any warm-up races. You go to the gate and that's it. First serious, you know, it's mm-hmm. A1 or, you know, the first national or whatever, and, you know, you just hit the ground running. So maybe he's, he, he doesn't need the, that kind of European culture of having a couple of warm-up races. Because mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is there's been the Italian Championship, which is three rounds, uh, the Valence International in France, and also the Hawkstone International in the U.K., and all of them have been pretty severe in terms of weather. It's been foggy, it's been raining, it's been cold. In Italy, yeah. it was a snowy track in Milan. So you do wonder what kind of riders really get from those sort of events. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like, you, like yeah. Tyler again said, it wasn't really, wasn't really worthwhile him turning up with a lance. <laughs> it looked pretty bad. It looked really bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, people are pretty excited, though, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm I, people. I've been writing about it all the time, so it might be bored of hearing it. But from that list of 28 riders in MXGP class, you've got 18 that have won um, Grand Prix before, mm-hmm. and you've got like 22, I think, who have got podium experience. You know, just to, they know what it takes to to get up on in the top three. So that's quite a impressive, you know, quite an impressive sort of roster, mm-hmm. really. Um, and I just, uh, I think Qatar, we're going to see something, you know, I, I really think Ryan will be the, the favorite there just because of the way the track is. It's a new build. It's only the third year that's going to be there. Right. And from what I've heard, the Qataris haven't really touched the layout compared to last year. There's going to be some more lighting because it was a night race. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it's just, it's quick, it's jumpy. You know, and Thomas Covington and his first ever GP, his first professional race, you know, took a top three there last year. Yeah. So I think Ryan's going to be really quick right off the bat. But when we get to places like Arco de Trento, which is almost like a go-kart track, um, and it's pretty, you know, uh, stony as well. And the race after that, I think, is Vulcanswide, which is in the sand. And I don't think Cairoli's been beaten there for for a good few years, Mm -hmm. maybe since 2000. Actually, he had a trophy. They gave him a trophy for winning, like, five in a row recently. Oh, okay. Hurlings, of course, has been unbeaten there since he kind of came into GPs as a 15-year-old. Right. The, so uh, when you get to those tracks, then I think, you know, it'll be something a little bit more for him to sort of get his head around. Yeah. But um, have the you, first three... Have you, do you think three. that this is going to... Is this going to... Is this a good thing for the GPs as far as a, a boost in the uh, in the ratings and the interest level? Do you, I mean, I think it is, but do you, do you think this is something that really, really helps out? Or how do you think he's going to be received in, among the fans and all that kind of stuff? Is it going to be a big deal? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, even just being at A2 and asking everybody that I spoke to in the paddock, what do they think about it? Mm-hmm. And they all said, yeah, I'm going to watch. You know, I'm going to follow it. So it seemed, you know, to have a really positive reaction. I think people, you know, on a, on a, on a really basic level want to see him fight Cairoli. But there are other people that kind of, you know, see him as like a, a U.S. flag, you know, bearer. Mm-hmm. Um, an AMA kind of supercross and motocross you know, representative. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's different kind of levels there. So there's, you know, I think what? it's going to be a, a really big deal that Ryan's over, and I, I, you know, I'm sure he's thought about the implications of you know him being there in the gate. Um, you know, because when was the last time a rider of his stature ever came over to Europe? I don't, I don't think ever. 
Yeah, it's been – yeah. I think Lackey was pretty close to national champion, if not national champion, when he, when he went over in the early 70s. You know what I mean? But generally speaking, the American riders head over there as a last resort, um, you know, to yeah. go. So. Hey, what do you think uh, – look, you know him. Uh, uh, you know him a little bit, and you certainly know a lot of his competitors. And you've done the GPs. You've come over here and done races over here. To, in your eyes, what's going to be the biggest adjustment for him? You know, one thing I think um, he'll have to get his head around is the amount of attention that's going to be on him. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the guy's obviously experienced, you know, how many A1s has he done? I mean, right. he's, he's, he can cope with the, the spotlight, the glare, the attention, sponsors wanting him this way and that, uh, dealer signings, all the rest of it. I'm sure Ryan's done every kind of possible promotional activity in his career, but you know, he's still going to have to deal with the fact that he's going to go to France and he's going to be like a megastar. Um, then he's going to go to Italy and he's going to be racing against Cairoli, so he could be the chief villain. Um, you know, you're going to go to a lot of different countries and a lot of different press, um, a lot of different kind of responsibilities based around distributors because of the different differences in culture in Europe right, right. alone. I think, you know, I mean, I, you know, Tyler today was telling me something like in, in Thailand, you know, the, the Japanese in, in Kawasaki want to bring like 100 guests just to come over and watch him race and, and to meet him. So it's, it's, it's going to be like a big, big show around him. So that might be the hardest thing to, to kind of juggle as well as dealing with the fact that, oh, hang on a minute, you know, this week came a racing in Holland and it's going to be in sands that's, you know, a foot deep, but underneath it's like, you know, really hard rock. How am I going to deal with that? Right. So, right. you know, there's there's the diversity of the tracks. Um, also, he might have to get used to racing riders like Clement de Salle and, and David Philippart, so are not really going to give him an inch and might see that number two on the back as like a nice big target or a mm-hmm. scalp. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and as well as the, all, the, all the show that's going to be going on around him. So, yeah, I think I think that'll be the, the toughest thing for him to do, as well as think, you know, okay, I'm I'm ten points ahead of Tony Cairoli, or I'm fifteen points behind. Right. You know, how do I dislodge this guy or get rid of him? And and also too, like I'm sure he'll know this, but like Sunday morning warm up, you don't need to go balls out and be the fastest guy. Saturday, two practices. Uh, you know, it's okay if you're just figuring everything out and you're not the fastest guy or whatever. Like over here, he's not the fastest guy. We're all running to the truck to find out why or whatever. You know, it's a different strategy over there. Yeah, it's like Saturday is a, is an acclimatization period. I mean, it's almost kind of, you know, what what kind of conditions, what weather's going on, and especially for people who haven't seen, like, a new track. I mean, and that's the case for some of the GP riders this year. You know, Argentina's a new track. Uh, Thailand's going to be a new track. Um, the French GP, uh, Villas de Sol, which I probably mispronounced, um, you know, hasn't had a GP this century. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a couple of new tests for the usual GP guys, and Ryan's going to have that all the way through, apart from Glenn Helen. So, um, you know, he, he might, he'll be the one that'll be using those Saturday sessions the most. But like you say, I mean, if you finish fourth in a qualification heat, then it's no big deal. Yeah, yeah. And I think Grand Prix, I mean, there was a bit of a movement, not necessarily a movement, but a swell of opinion um, last year to try and consider cutting GPs down to one day as well. Um, you know, you could even have a Saturday program full of all the support classes like the Europeans and then have the main motos on a Sunday. Right. But then, you know, the, the that was kind of squashed really by sort of Ustream who wanted to protect the, the traditional two-day format for a Grand Prix, which has been in place for, you know, I don't know how many years, certainly right. before I was watching it. 
the uh, the one day format over here, I think, has worked. It's terrific. Um, you know, I, I think it's a great thing. But yeah, it's another another story for another day. Um, the way I look at it, and for people who don't know, uh, Ryan's riding for uh, KRT Kawasaki. It's a it's a French based team, right? Um, and uh, Golgia Paulin rode it last year, and him and Tyler Rattray are on a team. There's no issues, Adam, with the bike or the team or anything, right? I mean, this is as top-notch as it gets. Yeah, this is like sort of full factory. They're based in Holland. Um, the owner is French. Uh, team manager's like French. So it's, uh, you know, they're, they're I'm driving, you know, Ryan's mechanic uh, French as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of nationalities dealing with it. But, you know, it's linked heavily to sort of Kawasaki Motor Europe. Um, direct input from the Japanese, and I think also from from the U.S. You know, um, I don't know. Obviously, Kawasaki's not looking. There were powerhouses over there for X amount of years when when Ryan was riding over there, but obviously a little bit more difficult for Millsaps and Will Hahn mm-hmm. this year. So I think everybody's almost kind of turning their head a little bit within Kawasaki to say, well, okay, we've just lost our number one guy, or our number one guy's moved to this continent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is is everything going to be okay with him? I think you know there's a big investment being made there to to have Ryan do the last year of his contract and also do it in Grand Prix. So Kawasaki and and Monster saw the parties involved. They're all kind of you know doing their best to make sure he feels super comfortable and and, and gets on with the job. But yeah, it's it's trick stuff. I mean, Paul Ann two years ago was the first one using a special clamp on his brake um, mm-hmm. just to to help out at the start. Um, you know my my technical knowledge. There you go. Um, you're <laughs> much, I know much more than me. Um, right. But yeah, yeah, he was doing some trick stuff. So I'm sure Ryan's definitely going to have the bike and he's do the job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, um, I, I've been telling even though people ask me all the time also what I think about this, and I just say like, hey, you got to understand, Antonio Caroli is a world class rider, um, and, and and let's not. You know, let's not forget about that. The uh, uh, people, you know, a lot of Americans, they know Caroli. They know he's good, but maybe they don't give him enough credit. I've seen him race numerous times, and, you know, at Motocross Nations every year, he's a force, generally speaking, at that race. Um, people, aren't, people don't get it, huh, Adam, just how great this guy is. No, it's, um, I mean, just, uh, you know, sort of, sort of prologue the answer a little bit, going back to machinery, Kai Rowley's on a new KTM this year, and he basically has been using that, that 350, the factory 350, with the same chassis they introduced in 2010 mm-hmm. for the last four years. You know, every time it's come around to a new season, KTM has said, look, you know, we got this a bit different, do you want to try it? He tries it and says, no, no, no I still prefer the old one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's been he's been riding that kind of original 350 set, and the guy hole shots. Um, he makes a bad start, but still comes through. He's he's a demon in the sand. I mean, he says bizarrely for an Italian, the hard pack is his weakness. But, right, right. You know, it's it's real hard to find a weak spot um, with Cairoli. It really is. I mean, last year he lost his dad suddenly. Um, you know, for a couple of Grand Prix, you could tell he wasn't mentally at the races, so to speak. So that was like a, a bit of a sticky patch for him. Clement de Salle beat him after he crashed twice in France. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think uh, it was a, it was like a, a longer season for him than, than usual, you know. So right, right. I, I, I just I, I struggled to find a chink in the armor, to be honest, Steve. But, um, you know, he hasn't been hurt seriously since like 2008. So you just kind of hope 
for the mm-hmm. sake of you know the show and this championship battle that could go on. Yeah, that it's just not going to happen this time. Uh, Paulin won last year on his day. He can go one one and and and. and certainly get into the mix, and, and now he's on the HRC Honda team. Uh, DeSalle is a, is a great rider, and he can win here and there. Injuries have sort of slowed him a little bit. But I don't see, Adam, any way that this MX1, you know, barring injury, of course, this is all barring injury, I don't see how any of those guys can consistently touch uh, Adam, uh, uh, touch uh, AC or, or RV. I just, I mean, do, do you see any of those guys Stepping up and making this a more than a two-man battle. Um, we asked the hard questions honest, on think, this thing. Yeah, I, I think you know if you're looking at the rest of the field and the names you've got to pull out um, that are not going to be regular threats <clears throat> are going to be DeSalle, who's proved he can beat Cairoli, and also Paul Ann. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Paul Ann on the factory Honda has got JMB in his corner as well. Uh, one of the factors why I think he left KRT, which was, like you say, a largely French team that mm-hmm. was built around him. He spent four years there building up that, 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 that team to a level where, you know, he was going for the championship in 2014 until he got injured. But um, I think, you know, he saw HRC as a little bit of a step up, maybe the maximum level you can get apart from KTM. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's got to be a potent package. Um, Paul Ann as well is a guy who he's, does some amazing stuff on a motorbike. Um, you saw on the Motocross of the Nations that he can rise to the occasion on the biggest stage. Yep. So, again, a guy with not many weaknesses. Um, you know, I think Cairoli's got the better of him in the sand. Um, but he was still like one of only two riders doing the quad in Lommel last year, which was like seriously like balls on the line stuff. Mm-hmm. And DeSalle is, um, he spent the whole of January riding in California. Um, when I saw him in Anaheim, he hasn't, I've never seen him look that sort of fit and trim and happy for a couple of years. Um, again, just spoke to him today and he's just, you know, he's, he's sounding really on it. I think that guy's going to be a serious threat because, uh, you know, over the last five years, he's been Tony Cairoli's main challenger for, for championship glory. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep an eye on those guys. And then you've got the wild cards, you know, people like Max Nagel, Fatio Scavano, essentially a white KTM, you could be cynical and say. Um, <laughs> Jeremy Van Horbeek, he's going to be the he's guy good, who's yeah. in a championship top three all year. Um, he might not win races or be able to push someone like Tony or Villapolo that much, but he'll be racking up the points. And then you go into the sand, and you've got people like Kevin Stryber or Stephen Sean Simpson. Um, you know, and for me, the biggest question mark in MXGP, if people are going to follow the series this year quite closely, is uh, Tommy Sell, mm-hmm. um, who's going to be Tony Cairo's teammate. And uh, from the sounds of it, you know, I've spoken to him a couple of times. He's really put in the effort. Um, he's been in Italy a lot, testing with Ducali and, and, and Tony and... Um, he's pretty much done everything that he can do to make himself a threat. And he couldn't buy a start for the last two years on the Kawasaki, but now he's on a 350 KTM. Um, watch him, because I think, you know, he's going to be sort of the, you know, after RV, he's the next sort of big question mark of what could happen. So the Englishman thinks that the Englishman rider will be the will be the one to watch. No bias <laughs> whatsoever. No bias. Because um, that's another cool thing about Villapoto. I mean, you know, if you go to, um, you know, Minnesota or whatever, then I'm sure you've got a whole crowd going crazy for Dungey or whatever. Right, right. But you come over here, you're going to get, you know, fans going bananas for Boutron in Spain. Right. You go to France, it's going to be Paul Anne's backyard. Um, you go to sort of Italy, then it's straight into Cairoli and mm-hmm. Philip Arts territory. 
you know, he's going to have to deal with all this all the way through the year and wait until the last Grand Prix when he finally gets to his home round. And, then, you know, I hope there'll be more than sort of 500 spectators like there were last time at Glen Helen who want to see, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, yeah. RV kick some international butt. Uh, early on, getting back to uh, AC, um, I, I'd heard he was going to ride a 450, and now he's on a 350. Do you know anything why? Do you know what happened? What was the deciding factor there? I think he weighs it up at the end of each year. I okay. mean, just from speaking to people in the team, he always like tries the next 450 and says, well, you know, is this going to be better than what I had? Um, but then, like, KTM gave him the new 350, which I understand is, you know, quite a lot lighter. Um <clears throat> different chassis as well mm-hmm. so i think that just uh made his mind up um yeah and he's been testing it side by side with tommy Sell. so um i'll tell you what the over here white breaker white breaker winning package i'll tell you what over here those new bikes look really good they look really good yeah. dungy's uh very happy with it so um ktm once again um you know making a mark uh with their bikes paul lynn's moved to honda um you know, like I said, we saw him go. Uh, we saw him dominate some GPs on the Cowie. Why did he leave? Why did he do this? Do you think he was he just sort of uh, looking for a change? It was was it all JMB? I mean, there's no doubt that there's no team as star-crossed as the HRC Honda guys. Some of the trickiest bikes in the in the pits, and uh, um, you know, Bobrushev has been hurt a lot over the years, and uh, they tried Nagel out. It's certainly fast, but um, is he going to be? Is Paul Lynn going to be the uh, the answer here for that team? Yeah, absolutely. I mm-hmm. mean, Paul Lynn, um, when it came around to sort of contracts, I mean, I think HRC were talking <clears throat> quite closely with Clement de Salle as well. Oh, they were? Uh, okay. He was tied to Suzuki for another year. But, um, you know, he was he was kind of, if you looked around the top group, then you had your, your Cairoli, you had your de Salle, you had your Van Horbeek, and Paul Lynn was like the, the main guy as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just a combination. Everyone sort of looks as well. Obviously, they offered him a fat check um, to switch teams because he had everything that he could possibly want at Kawasaki. And even like, uh, you know, Kawasaki Motor Europe racing manager Steve Gutridge, I remember speaking to him at the Italian Grand Prix, and he said on record, I would be very surprised if Gautier moved from this team. Oh, did he, huh? Um, yeah. yeah, and he did. So mm-hmm. I think it was just a combination of Jean-Michel Bell, you know, maybe calling him up and saying, listen, you need to come to HRC. We'll, we'll, we'll do everything for you. Right. Um, obviously, it was a good deal because um, HRC are investing a lot of money on bringing seven or eight Japanese technicians to every race. Um, you know, it's, it's an impressive setup in the pits. Uh, it's, it's just like, you know, it's just on the same par as like KT, um, KTM, you know, for factory kind of input and resources and everything. So, uh, you know, I think it was just too attractive. I don't think Gautier could pass it up. Like Nagel said two years ago when he joined, you know, every rider kind of dreams of having the HRC bike and that kind of support package. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that's, that's the main reason. And, you know, he's, a, he's such a good rider, and they, they seem to have an endless well of resources at their fingertips. I think, you know, the only thing that could stop it is just a trip to the medical center. If, uh, if they don't win, do we blame Roger Harvey again? Is that who we blame? No, I don't even blame Roger. All right, let's um, blame him. Let's blame him. Let's blame him. <clears throat> Having said that, Steve, I think you can rule out your uh, plate of pasta in the hospitality when you come and visit a Grand Prix. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, if he's listening to this, that's it. You've buried it. I know. Hey, uh, Barbershop. You'll be out there having the frits in, you know, the Belgian stand around the, around the back of the track. Hey, those aren't so bad either. Your... Those aren't so bad either. You put some mayonnaise, what you guys do. You put this mayo with those frites, and that's so bad. 
Um, yeah, you just got to dunk it in that stuff. Uh, that's it. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, Bobrashev, this is a real make-or-break year for him, huh? Certainly, uh, Bobby, uh, great guy and uh, fast as get-up, but he cannot stay healthy. No. I mean, definitely a contender for, you know, one of the unluckiest guys in Grand Prix racing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he just... Uh, even in the season when, um, you know, he won his first GP, it was like the first GP win for Russia in like 23-odd years or something mm-hmm. back in 2011. And those Hondas that year were like round, they were both, him and Rui Gonsalves were, you know, in the top three or four around the first turn every other race. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, but since then, he just it's just been one thing after another. And the, the leg break he had last year at the Italian Grand Prix was pretty horrific. I mean, the thing was kind of facing around the wrong way. So, uh, you know, Bobby, I think, at one point was out of Honda. You know, he was uh, considering other options. I heard even KTM might consider him as a second rider to Cairoli. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's he's had three, I think, four years there now in the factory setup. So mm-hmm. it was like a, a bit of continuity, you know, for HRC. Yeah. If they invested big in poor land and they wanted someone that they could kind of you know, bank on to, to keep that stream of information and, and working relationship going. And like you say, Bobby's such a good guy. I mean, he's he's a big, strong Russian, and you really don't want to piss him off. But um, <laughs> he's he's just, uh, you know, a gentle giant. So got the, a lot of time for him, actually. Getting back to Searle, uh, like you said, maybe the biggest question mark outside of RV. Um, I mean, can he? do you think there, there could come weekends where Tommy could win, beat everybody? Or, like, this year, uh, is it a... I mean, is he looking to be a three to five place guy? Can you see him taking a lead? I'd like to think so. Yeah, <clears throat> I'd like to think he could win, and that's not just because of a nationality speaking. Right. Um, you know, the thing with Tommy, especially when he was younger, the thing I used to watch him and be impressed by the most was just how sort of inventive he can be. I mm-hmm. mean, he's quite a clever rider on the track, and he likes sort of changing up lines and just trying to find new stuff to do. And um, I haven't seen him race yet on that 350. His results in the Italian Championship weren't too bad. I mean, he was hitting the podium and, and making some good finishes there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just, uh, in the sand, is a little bit weak, you know. I mean, he was always conceding points to Hurlings when those two went at it for the MX2 Championship two years ago, or three years ago now. So it's, uh, you know, that's that's one. I don't think you'll see him winning in Volkenswagen or Lommel or anywhere like that. Right. But, you know, I think if he can start it, then he's he's going to be going for wins. And Rattray's return last year, just a disaster for the <laughs> Ice Ice One Husky team. Um, now he's RV's teammate back on a Cowie. Certainly Rattray uh, is fast. Uh, again, he has to stay healthy too. I, what do you put him, what are your thoughts on, on Tyler Rattray? I think he's going to be a top five guy. But then I said that last year and <laughs> people were kind of like looking at me as if to say, you know, what, what are you smoking, you know? Mm-hmm. it's. Uh, I think being back on the Kawasaki... Um, you know, on a, on on a machine he knows well. Uh, I don't know. I just talked to him today, and he, he seemed seemed in good spirits. He seemed pretty confident and happy to get on with it. So uh, Tyler's another one of those riders just just won't give up at all. So you know, again, if he gets the start, um, and again, that's one thing. You know, the riders I've spoken to are just talking a lot about the start. So I think the level of MXGP this year is going to be so close that mm-hmm. if. Uh, you know, if if you don't if you don't get out the gate in the top five, then the guys ahead of you are just going to be gone. And thirty plus two, you know, it's uh, still quite a short moto in, in Grand Prix. Um, you know, I think that'd be the factor. But I, I rate Tyler, and I think he'll 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 get results this year. Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, is? I mean, 
I have to laugh at the, the there's some Americans that are just say, hey, RV is going to work everybody. He's, he's, the, he's the best American rider in the Nationals, and therefore he's the best rider in the world. Um, this is this kind of talk is funny to me when you when you consider Antonio Caroli and DeSalle and Paul Inn and these guys. Do you, but if you want to break down the wins, and of course this is all staying healthy, I mean, where are we at? Where do you think? How many GPs RV can win this year? How many can AC win? How much are, are open for the other guys? I mean, do you really see this being a three-way battle or a two-way battle? No, I can see it being more. Yeah? I mean, yep. you know, okay, I think RV's going to win races. He's going to be ridiculously fast. He might even disappear in mm-hmm. some races. But then, you know, I mean, the, the guy's not immune to crashing, is he? Or, like, slipping off as he's trying to go through the one rut that there is in Sweden. Mm-hmm. That's also full of water and rocks, so it's uh, you know I think you kind of I, I think it's impossible that he's going to be that quick without making any mistakes across the diversity of the train he's got throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So then it's just hey, who's there, who's following him to capitalize on that moment. I mean, I'm not gonna, I, I don't think Ryan Villapoto is going to win half the Grand Prix in the schedule. Yeah, um, you All know right. Tony Cairoli, when he's been in a position where he's had to, he's done it. Uh, he took a double DNF in Sweden, I think it was 2012. And yeah. then after that, he lost like one moto of the next sort of 12. Right. I mean, it was a ridiculous run. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, Steve, just talking about it is bloody hard. I know. Well, I think we'll know a lot more how this season's going to go. Really, come the uh, come the fifth GP at Vulcan Squad. Like, to me, the sand ones, I give those to Caroli. Right? I mean, you just have to. Yeah. Ryan doesn't ride that deep stuff. I mean, sure, he's going to practice on it, and he's going to get better at it. You know, he's based in, in uh, he's going to be based by Lomel there. He'll be riding there a lot. But I still got to give those sand ones to, to Antonio. However close RV can get to Antonio at that fifth GP, I think we'll know a little better. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, Cairoli last year came into the Ebony Grand Prix with a bit of an injury. I think uh, he was lucky to make the podium in Qatar last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then by the second round, he won both motos in Thailand and you know started his kind of championship assault, if you like. Mm-hmm. So, like you say, when we get kind of back to Europe and we've done the heat, we've done the we've done the desert in round one, we've done the heat in Thailand in round two, and then we've done the completely new circuit that could be anything. Uh, for round three in Argentina, mm-hmm. then there's going to be a little bit more regularity where the radar races are coming and, and the kind of terrain you're going to find. Um, yeah, that's when sort of the championship will really sort of click into like a third gear. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> otherwise it's just kind of hard to really predict what's going to happen. It's um, That's obviously one of the, the fun parts about it, I guess. It's going to be interesting at the final round of Glen Helen if they're both into it and where the points are because... You know, obviously Ryan has a ton of laps at Glen Helen. I would like him to win there, to be the favorite to win at Glen Helen. So if you're Antonio Carolli, you're like, hey, I gotta, I gotta make some points on this guy before we get to the last round. Yeah, and the the race before that's Mexico, which is kind of like a strange ground. It's mm-hmm. kind of a little bit tacky, but also hard pack. But then the race before that, two weeks before, is Assen, um, which is going to be the Dutch GP. Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, that's another new track based in the, the same sort of road racing circuit, and that's going to be sand. So there's going to be three sandy Grand Prix. Um, you know, Lommel's the deepest one. Uh, Volkenswag can be the trickiest. I mean, I've been yeah. there when it's been, 
you know, really sunny and everyone's had their T-shirts off in the crowd, but I've also been there when it's been snowing right? Um, and it's almost frozen. So, you know, that's not coming around until the end of April over here. So I doubt we'll get, the, you know, really extreme weather. At least yeah. I hope we don't. So, um, you know, it depends what Ryan's really going to find there. I uh, I really um, I really can't decide who's going to win this. People ask me, and I, and I I mean, I don't know. I think these guys are so equal, and I think the American fans are going to find out just how great Antonio Caroli is, and it's going to be great. I, I have no idea. I I I think one of those two guys will win it, barring injury, of course. And uh, I cannot give you an answer. I don't know. That's awesome. And people say the same thing to me, and my answer now is that it's going to be decided in the medical center. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a case of who can stay healthy over 36 motos. Right. And it, that's, that's a long time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. Hey, uh, uh, Race Tech is a, is a proud commercial sponsor of this podcast. So <coughs> listen to this uh, commercial from Race Tech. Save yourself money. Save yourself 10%. Uh, Racetech.com. Use the code PulpMX2015. Uh, and we'll be right back on the btosports.com Race Rex podcast presented by Fox Racing with Adam Wheeler. Thanks for listening to these podcasts, everybody. I appreciate it. This is Mathis. Hey, did you guys know that chances are the bike that's in your garage needs some sort of suspension work? I guarantee you, 74.3% of you listening to this either need your suspension oil changed, you need to get proper springs for your size or speed, or you need your bushings or your bushings are worn out or something is going on with your suspension. Don't neglect your suspension. Enjoy your ride. And the best way to do that is by sending it to the folks at Racetech. Racetech is the world's largest aftermarket uh, suspension mod company. They've been doing this stuff since for 30 years, people. They've been uh, in business. Of course, they've worked with some of the world's best riders. Right now, they're, each setup and product is 100% guaranteed. They're made in the USA. Vince Freeze uses Racetech suspension to get third overall in uh, last year's 250 E-Series. Cody Gilmore, Jimmy Dakotas, they're all on uh, Racetech suspension. It's privateer proven. They've offered a full line of Racetech high-performance springs. They're high-performance because they're extremely lightweight for the rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. Pulp MX-15 saves you 20% at Racetech. Racetech.com. Vintage stuff also available. Anything to do with suspension, these guys can do it. Trust me, tune up your ride. You need it because you know it's been sitting in the garage. You haven't serviced it for a long time. Just do it. Use the code, save yourself money. Thanks to Racetech for supporting all these podcasts. Do it, Racetech. Do it. All right, and we're back. BTOsports.com, RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. GP preview with the on-track, off-road, Adam Wheeler. Um, Adam, if you if a, an American fan is listening to this and they want to go cheer on Ryan Villapoto with their stars and stripes, these colors don't run, you know all that, uh, <laughs> where would they go? Where should these? Where should, what? Give me, give us a GP or two that you think would just capture everything about a GP to go cheer on Ryan Villapoto. Well, it depends. You know, do you want to go somewhere with good food, good beer, good weather? I would say track. Good I would say atmosphere, weather, track, viewing area, that kind of thing. Well, um, uh, the first thing that pops into my head is Majora, the Italian Grand Prix. Middle of June, um, it's on a track that, you know, there's hardly any flat spots. Uh, you know, fantastic hills, great views, good fans, mm-hmm. good women, good food, good weather. Um, but if you're an American fan, then you're oh. kind of almost sort of going into sort of Cairoli territory. <laughs> um, so 
it could be risky, you know, walking around in a sort of, you know, stars and stripes flag around your, around your back. <laughs> right, right. Um, so the, that'll be the first one for all that, those factors. Um, you know, if, if you haven't seen a Grand Prix before, then I would really recommend one of the Sam ones because that's something special to watch. Mm-hmm. And also, I think on any motocross fan's bucket list has to be watching Jeffrey Herding's Ride the Sand because that is something, you know, that's almost uh, supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can use such a high level of praise, yeah. that has to be done. Um, that, uh, British Grand Prix, it's always pretty good. Madeley Basin, yeah, across the nation's uh, site in 2006. Uh, that's that's a pretty good one to go to as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, yeah. Um, I got is check. that enough? I gotta, yeah, I think it's enough. I got to check my schedule and see which ones I can make it to. I I, I love the I love the Lomo thing. It's just hard to see. You know, but it's really cool to be at a, a historic track, of course, where USA won uh, first motocross of the nations back in 1981. So, kind of, kind of neat to go there. Yeah, it's, yeah, like you say, that I mean, it's not, it's not the prettiest track in the world. It's mm-hmm. essentially just a big sandbox. Um, but you know, it's uh, where it's situated is <clears throat> in sort of you know a northern part of, of Belgium, and uh, you know, you, it's, I don't know, it's kind of atmospheric in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, give me a guy in MX1 who's going to break out this year that we're going to be surprised by. Is there a guy that comes to you mind? MXGP. MXG. Sorry, MXGP. That's right. <laughs> let's let's name the class the same as the the, the series name. Got it. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, it's a good bit of branding. Yeah. A guy that's going to break out. Yeah, somebody we're going to be talking about that we maybe. Uh, even maybe somebody we talked about so far on the podcast, but somebody you really look to see improvement from. Maybe Van Horbeck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Factory Yamaha rider, mm-hmm. runner-up last year. One to, not only took his first podium, but took like another 11 of them, um, and also his first win. You know, people are going to be looking to see what he can do, whether he can push up a level again. And just from what I hear from the guys at Yamaha, he's riding really fast in preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, a guy that gets kind of wrapped up in it. Uh, you know, it can be a bit melodramatic. So, you know, I, I, I don't think we'll see his strongest performance at the first round. I mean, if, if he finishes top five, I think he'll be happy to kick the season off for that. Mm-hmm. But when we get to some of the other tracks, especially some of the ones where, you, you know, you need a lot of feeling for for the terrain and it's pretty slippery and marbly and, and stony, you know, tracks like Udavala and Sweden and, and Lockett in the Czech Republic where he won last year, then, mm-hmm. you know, you'll see him be pretty strong. Um, Strybos too. Sand rider. Strybos too, another guy that you, <clears throat> everyone counts out and then he's just there. He's just solid, you know? Yeah. Uh, Kevin's big problem has been, um, you know, he's this has these periods of arm pump, um, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. mysteriously affect him. Um, he's always kind of tweaking the setup of the bike for that. Um, but, you know, a couple of motos last year where he started, you know, whole-shotted or started first one or two, then he was away and he was gone. One of those riders that seems to get a little bit better of age and also when he's healthy, you know, I put Sean Simpson in the same bracket mm-hmm. as well. It just seems to get a little bit stronger every year. And it's kind of curious how you have those riders that just, like, fizz up and go bam straight away, like, you know, your Ken Roxons, your your Jeffrey Hurlings, your Marvin Muscan. Um, but then you get these other ones that are real slow burners and just like they're racing, race out every year. Mm-hmm. So Kevin's one of those. Um, you know, a rider like Ken de Dijker, um, you know, can't sort of forget him, you know, a motocross of nations winner with Belgium. 
Yeah. Um, hurt for most of last year with a sort of pin in his wrist. Couldn't you know he was losing feeling in his hand after the first ten minutes of the motos. I mean, he's another guy that you know will suddenly be thirteenth one weekend, but then in the next one when you're in the sand, he's he's going for a podium. So uh, yeah. Um, Stephen Frossard, uh, you know, won the Nations of France at the end of last year. He's changed to um, a well-supported uh, KTM UK team, mm-hmm. uh, so he's no longer really got factory status. But you know, he, he's certainly he's talented. Rider where he wants to be. Yeah, yeah. On his day, right? It's uh, kind, yeah. of, kind of like a version of Paul Inn. Not you know, Paul Inn's a Gauthier is a better rider, but sort of on this day, Paul Inn's tough to beat. And same with Frossard back on the day. You know, if he was on it and feeling it. So yeah. Um, MX2. Uh, good job, Jeffrey Erlings. Good job staying down, winning again. Yay, everyone's really happy for you. It's really great. Go ahead, chase those Grand Prix records. Everyone will be so so excited. Uh, <sighs> I just love the conviction in your voice. There. It's just it's but, um, just ridiculous. It's just simply ridiculous. But listen, hey. everybody knows, Steve. Everybody knows what's going to happen with Hurlings and what you're going to get. You're going to get like this tour de force of this this whirlwind of speed and you know um, physicality and just the way he manipulates that bike to, to to dominate. But you know, the biggest question I think for MX2 this year is what is Jordi Tixier going to do, or what Jordi Tixier is, is is going to turn up at the first round. You know, we're talking about a guy who was criticised. Um, as a works KTM rider for the last year mm-hmm. or two for not really having the, the medal or the nerve to, to win a race mm-hmm. when his teammate was injured. Um, in the last four rounds, closed down something like 145 points when Hurlings was injured, right. including taking his first two wins in four races. And, you know, and, and basically just like stuck a finger up at everyone and said, look, you, know, <laughs> you accuse me of not having the balls to be able to do the job. Well, here's my number one plate. Yeah. So are we going to see that guy turn up? Because if we do on like you know the CLS Kawasaki, then yeah, you know then he's going to make a play for the championship straight away. You really think so? You really think he can run with Hurlings? Uh, if he, I mean, <clears throat> That's, uh, run with Hurlings? I don't think so. I mean, Jeffrey tends to be quicker than most uh, mm-hmm. you know, MXGP riders, right? But you know, you know, Hurlings wins six in a row. But then, you know, if he injures himself again and misses another three, then right. he's going to be in the same sort of championship predicament that he was in last year. I mean, it was 145 points ahead. Yeah. And the Czech Grand Prix, KTM arrived with you know with the celebration T-shirts and loads of guests and everything, and they were going to be toasting the championship. And then a few days earlier, he breaks his femur on an 85, and you know, <laughs> right, and then right. you create this this dramatic championship running. So was uh. You know, and you chuck it, chuck a few crazy kids in in MX2 into the mix, like Tim Geiser. You know, he's still a teenager um, on the factory Honda. He's mm-hmm. he's really strong. Um, you know, when was the last time you saw a Slovenian, you know, rising yeah. to the stop at the top of motocross? Um, Dylan Ferrandis, and, and you know, another French guy, motocross at nations winner in in Kagums last year. He's he's going to be Tixier's teammate. He's going to be strong again. Did uh, um, did Tixier did Tixier get a little bit of a raw deal from KTM, getting let go? I mean, would they? I think so. You know, like, why did I they? Think so I mean, yeah. Why did they do that? Did they just well, totally lose faith in him? Like, and set, tell him early on, "Hey, you're you're out, no matter what you do." And then he won the title, and they still just let him go. Like, that's weird. I think there was a little bit of, you know, lack of belief, mm-hmm. um, but they also wanted to change up the factory team system. You know, Hurling's when it became kind of clear he was looking to stay another year at MX2, 
<clears throat> they wanted to bring like a younger rider in, which is Paul Jonas, who mm-hmm. has already, you know, pretty much whipped the MX2 scene pre-season already. So then it was a case of like, Geordie, would you know, we want to keep you as a KTM rider. Would you mind moving to another team? Um, which he didn't really want to accept. Right. And then, uh, you know, he began talks with Kawasaki. There was a window of opportunity there because Lupino was already out mm-hmm. by virtue of his 23 years. He's gone into MSGP. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's how the move happened. And, of course, I don't think KTM expected him to be taking the championship with him. Yeah, obviously not, right? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. The uh, Geisher was impressive at his nations, and certainly he's a guy who's yeah. really broken out, huh? Yeah, I mean, he was running a 450 in the nations as well. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he's... Um, He's he's also the one of the MX2 guys I've spoken to that are kind of tipping him to to do even better. I mean, he won his first motos in 2014, got his first podium. So the next step is to win an overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, he's he's definitely one that HRC are kind of wrapping their arms around because you know, as he showed in in Latvia, he can ride a 450 as well. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of if you like, he's really probably the next kind of breakout teenager after the hurlings and and rocks and. Um, you know, train yeah. that's come through GP. Oh, I look forward to so, seeing him in America then, real shortly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, ah, yeah. I got you there. No, um, no I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, who who is going to get second to Hurlings here? Who who's going to be? What's the battle for second? Ah, oh, it's another one of those questions that I hate. I know, but um, what do you? I mean, give me. What do you think? I mean, I, I know what you said about Tixier stepping up last year, but until then, he'd been pretty underwhelming. So. You know, uh, I mean, Geishier, definitely the guy on the rise. Yeah. I think I'll have to go for Geishier, actually, because yeah. I think Ferrandez is going to make mistakes. I think Tim will make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordi as well. Um, Jonas is going to be really fast, um, but he's also going to slip up. So right. I think I'll go with a Honda rider. Yeah, it should be interesting to see. And then do you think Hurlings, mm-hmm. is this Hurlings last year, or does he win again next in 2016? No way. This is the last year in MX2. We'll 100%. See. We'll see about that. <laughs> no, if he, if he, I cannot believe he would stay another year on the 250. Unless, of course, he wipes himself out. Right. And, you know, uh, another manufacturer for the first time since 2007 mm-hmm. wins MX2. Right. Which is like quite, a, you know, a streak. Yeah. And yeah. KTM might panic and say, right, we've got to get that 250 crown back. Jeffrey, do you want to have a go again? Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So, no, I can't see it happening, you know. Yeah. And then, like, kind of, even if Ryan Villapoto um, flops and decides I'm done, I'm, I'm I'm retiring, or he wins everything and you know finishes career on like the biggest kind of high you could have in motocross. Mm-hmm. Um, for MXGP fans, there's still the prospect of Jeffrey Hurlings entering into MXGP class next year yeah. against the likes of Cairoli and you know DeSalle, who's I think is 25, Paulan 24, Van mm-hmm. Horbix 24. Five. So these guys are not sort of really going to be going anywhere for a couple of years. Yeah, that should be really great. Although, I mean, the way mm-hmm. Hurlings rides, uh, I'd be tough to. It'd be tough to you know, not not say that the only guy that could give him a challenge is, is Antonia. I, I yeah. mean, I think uh, obviously could could Listen, see. And while we're talking MX two, mm-hmm. and for any kind of American fans who are going to be watching, um, you know, CBS and catching the Grand Prix and right. stuff, Thomas Covington. Uh, the other American, um, CLS rider, again, teammate with uh, Jordi Tixier and Dylan Ferrandez. Mm-hmm. Um, keep an eye on him, you know. He's got one year of, like, Grand Prix and all the hard knocks of, 
you know, living away from home, you know, as a youngster and trying to learn what it's all about and, you know, have a team that perhaps was a little, I wouldn't say disorganized, but a little haphazard in the way they worked with him last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's going to be kind of sorted and switched on for this year. So he might be another one that's, um, yeah. you know, top five going for some surprise results. Yeah, it should be interesting to see what he can do. He was so up and down. And then there was, of course, you know, being an American kid over there, he's chosen to, to go this route and uh, props to him. But you could see at times that like the, the results were just snowballing downhill, you know, and it's got, yeah. it's got to be tough to be so far away from home and be struggling a little bit. Yeah, he so. broke his foot as well. Um, and also I think taking that top, that, that top three <clears throat> in the first race in Qatar, you know, I mean, you're a big <laughs> hockey fan. Maybe it's just like scoring a goal straight off from the, you know, yeah. the start of the game in, in the, you know, the, the biggest game of the year or whatever. So yeah. And you're like, Hey, this is really easy. help. I don't think. Right. Yeah. This actually probably hurt him right. More than help him. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what else we got to cover? Anything else? Um, what do you think of the uh, there's nations this year in France? Uh, how's the track? Uh, obviously, they've done it in '05. They were there. Does it favor the Americans to get this title back, or what do you think? Yeah, and A is um, you know it's it's a, it's a real cool circuit in that you have it's like an amphitheater, so you have the fans all banked on one side and the track kind of banked on the other side. So mm-hmm. it's real kind of. Uh, special setting for for the racing but as the tracks goes i really don't like it at all it's very thin it's um you know very narrow can be one liney it's not great for passing um you know the racing is going to be kind of weird but i like the way it kind of works out i mean you know like the germans went to tuchin tower one two three on their bikes and now the french are going going to be doing the same on their home turf yeah i mean that place is real kind of tight Anyway, I think, you know, the the Nations last time in 2005, I remember driving out the track in Friday and there was just, I don't know, it seemed like two or three miles of campers stacked outside yeah. of the road just trying to get in, you know. I think it would be absolutely crazy there uh, with the French going as defending champions. Yeah. Um, you, know, a bit, you know, I think uh, the Belgians again would be strong there. It really depends on what riders they take, but just knowing the ground and, and, and the way it kind of gets rutty and slippery, then it's mm-hmm. uh, it could be a special one. And it does tend to rain in that region of France quite does, frequently. Are there, are, there, we'll find. are there riders and teams and personnel looking forward to going back to Glen Helen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's the budget side of it, which made people think, well, you know, we've got to go for Mexico and then go straight to California. But um, <clears throat> there might be a little bit of apprehension because, you know, the last Grand Prix there, um, or from an organizational side, it was fantastic. You, could, you couldn't complain. Right. Um, but, you know, it was just, it just was like disappointing that it was a little bit of a non-event. But, you know, I think, you know, there was excitement about the American Grand Prix last time, and that's not going to change. I think everybody likes racing on that stage and, mm-hmm. you know, just on the doorstep of most of the industry. So it'll be cool. I think, you know, people, you know, you're going to have... That was another question I was actually asking when I was over for the Supercross. Mm-hmm. I was asking people like Cian Cirillo and, you know, uh, who else are Tonus, you know, those guys saying, you know, are you, you going to ride? And like Cian Cirillo saying to me, he has to ride. It's in his contract, you know, as a pro circuit Monster Energy rider and right. the Monster Energy U.S. Grand Prix. Right. But, um, you know, you're going to have people like Zach Osborne. I think Jimmy Albertson will probably turn up and give it a go. So, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. are you going to go? Oh, I'll go. Yeah, for sure. It's not far from the house. You know, I'll definitely go. But uh, I, if RV's not in the, around or not – well, if RV's still racing, I think everything will be good, tenants-wise and all that. 
And but I wouldn't look for a lot of Americans to race it. Uh, period. Unless the ones that are contracted to. Um, there's no purse money. Yeah. There's no real real reason to get get out to California and race when you've just finished your 12 round series. But I think the attendance. Well, let's face it, it couldn't get any worse. So I think with RV yeah. there, it'll, it'll get better. You <laughs> yeah. know, um, so that part of that part will be good. Yeah, it's also it's only one week before the nations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say Glen Helen and the similarities to Glen Helen and a probably only in some of the big uphills and downhills. Right. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I mean, obviously it's not convenient for for any guys who are doing it, apart from you know the American riders riding for for the motocross of nations. But um, I don't know. And then it's like kind of a rush back to Europe. Mm-hmm. So I mean, even if you're going to go to the USGP, then you know Pookie might get a bit pissed at you for not making that romantic Paris trip before you head over to the nation, <laughs> yeah. Steve. So be careful. Yeah. yeah, I know. Really, right? The GP would be Sunday, and then you're leaving Wednesday to head to today's nations. Yeah, you really are. It's a good point. Never really thought about that. Um, I can't wait to for you to get to know RV a little better, and then he starts swearing at you, calling you names, <laughs> telling you how you're the worst media in the sport and you're shit media, and that'll be fantastic. I can't wait to see how you handle that. So, oh, thanks, thanks for the warning. Yeah, um. yeah, he's uh, he's he can be a little bit of uh, you know a little bit of a handful to deal with sometimes, especially when once he once he gets a little comfortable with you. So. Yeah, we we don't really, you know, I mean, stars, the, most of the riders are pretty cool in MXGP. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it takes a, quite a, I mean, like, uh, Clement DeSalle in the past had some issues with the press, and it it takes a little bit of a time to sort of earn his trust. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no riders that are kind of, I mean, there's, there's such a format to the Grand Prix. I mean, we have press conferences after practice on Saturday. You have press conferences after the race. Um, there is quite a bit of TV obligation, like there is in Supercross, right. but uh, the, you know there is kind of this sort of informality around the paddock of press wandering around and, and, and talking and getting things done. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a question you should ask him when you come over as well. How are you finding it with the press here? But right. you know, for RV, it's going to be a special case. I think most of the press in each country are going to be wanting to grab on him. He'll be asked the same questions, you know, every other weekend in yeah. different kind of accents. When, that, come, that could be uh, one of the things he has to work through. If you're if you're um, gathering quotes after the race, um, there's obviously the press the pre, the post race press conference with the three guys. Is that all you yeah. is that all you deal with, Adam, or do you go around to some other guys and do you go around to other teams? And we don't have any press conferences or anything. You, it's pretty much a free for all. You got to run around and try to grab the guys you can. But do you just rely on the top three, or do you wander around the paddock and and try to get some quotes from other riders and, and that kind of stuff? Oh, you definitely got to get the quotes from the other guys. I mean, also, as you know, it depends on where the story is. Right. I mean, right. Um, I was at A2, you know, and I went down to try and get quotes from Roxon after he won. But then, you know, like Jason Wagan was rightly chasing, you know, like Canard and Reed after their little um, love right. tangle. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. We're lucky in that, um, you know, the press conference, it's pretty cool in GPs and allows you to sort of, you know, ask whatever you want and then you, you get the, the juice of that story from that rider. Mm-hmm. And even later on when you're still working there, some of the other riders come in anyway and want to talk to the press. Um, you know, sort of the, the sort of friends I've had that are riders, I always say, look, you know, come in and talk because, you know, there might be someone who wants to speak to you, hasn't had time to visit you in the motorhome area or, mm-hmm. or the living area and it's like, you know, miles away from the paddock or whatever. So. Right, right. Okay. Um, Interesting. Uh, well, I mean, I know it's in Supercross, everybody gets away so quick. 
Yeah. I can't believe that, you know. Yeah, they're out of there. Uh, or yeah, absolutely. How, you know, how are you supposed to finish your job? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little weird. It's a little different for sure. The riders just change and they leave, and the two fifty guys leave when the four fifty main event is still going on. So you yeah. sometimes don't even you can't even talk to the top three. You know, it's a little weird, <laughs> a little different. But um, well, hey, Adam, thanks for doing this, man. Thank you. No worries. That's, that's cool. I can't. Um, I can't wait to see this thing kick off. It's gonna be. It's gonna be some great racing. That's it. I mean, that's that's been the thing I've heard the most. You know, I can't wait to see it start. And I think the first round will be a one style in terms of it being a bit freaky and maybe mm-hmm. some nerves. And you know, it's hard to forecast what's going to happen. But uh, you know, we've got the next one the, the weekend after. So then it will really start sort of picking up momentum. But. It's going to be cool. It's going to be exciting. I mean, U.S. fans definitely have a look and see how Ryan and, and you know Thomas again on. And uh, also, you know, if you've been watching Cairoli on the TV the last couple of years, then to see if he's picking it up a little bit more to try and uh, dislodge the you know the Villapoto threat. Yeah, I think the one thing too, like uh, one thing people will realize if they get more into this is a how fast Antonio Cairoli is, and, and maybe b what a great guy he is. You know what a uh, yeah. down to earth, uh, um, you know, million time GP winner, multi time world world title holder, and just what a regular guy he is. So, yeah, down to earth is the right word. You know, I mean, he's he's second only to Stefan Evitz in numbers. Um, you know, obviously a wealthy guy, done very well for himself. Um, but yeah, you know, he he still you know just walks around the paddock and um you know it's just, it's just very very easy you know he doesn't shy away he doesn't lock himself away mm-hmm. um and you know as 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 a fan that's fantastic i mean you go to italy and you see people six deep against the ktm morning and you know he has to sort of get in sign your grass and get out otherwise he'll be there all day yeah um, but at least he still does it so and cool. and i feel like the other riders uh you know obviously there's lots of jealousy that the, the winner and Lots of things that people get mad about, uh, you know, when you're winning all the time. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the other GP guys lo- like him too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know? there's there's a, there's a good rapport. I mean, I think, uh, um, you know, he had a bit of uh, what's the word? I don't know, not a spat, but almost like a little bit of a rivalry game with Clement there for a year or two because yeah. they were the rivals for the championship. And um, you know, come on, hasn't always been the 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 easiest rider to to race against. You know, he's pretty tough. He'll put he'll put the bike where he wants. Right. Um, but you know, yeah, he hasn't really clashed with anybody. So it's uh, you know, he's you won't find many people with a bad word to say about him. Put it that way. He's quite a good ambassador for, yeah. uh, for motocross on this side of the world. Absolutely. Uh, the BTOSports.com Racer X podcast presented by Fox Racing. Adam Wheeler, uh, GP preview. Yeah, let's try to catch up and do a halfway point or. Maybe even after the first one, and see what see what uh, went went on. And, and and thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. Anytime. Uh, take it easy. All Don't right. Travel around too much. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, I got Atlanta this weekend <laughs> and Atlanta next weekend. So, uh, thanks, Wheeler. All right. Cheers, Steve. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. This has been the BTOSports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart, 
There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, it, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. The days and the months and the years.